This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt on the Clock in our Tuesday morning Bible study, and we're beginning on the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18. Just to kind of give you a, a little bit of a, uh, a refresher, we talked last week uh, about the, the genealogy of, of Jesus, and we talked about kind of the structure of where this book comes from. How, how does the Gospel of Matthew come into being? Is what area of the world it's being written in? Last week, we, we talked about um, my professor, but I wanted to bring some books for you all to see. Uh, and uh, for those of you that are listening online, th these are the books that I would suggest strongly for you to purchase if you want to go into an even more in-depth study. They are um, academic in pur on purpose. Uh, so these are some of the books that I would have read in seminary. They are not the ones I read in seminary, but they are some that I would have. Uh, but I love, I love the way that Dr. Carter writes. Um, it's uh, it's a little bit more accessible than a lot of professors that I've had in the past um, books that they've suggested. And so I, I'm, I'm going to suggest these two books. One of the books that Dr. Warren Carter writes is called Matthew in the Margins. It's called a socio-political and religious reading. Uh, part of the reason that he wrote this book was uh, he also served churches in New Zealand. And uh, when he was... Uh, Continuing on to his PhD, he he uh, he found that one of the things that we struggle with is talking about the social political side of the first century, and so uh, he he wrote this book in a, in a way for churches to use in Bible studies. Um, we teach Bible studies differently, so um, so this is for us. It, it would have to be another study of the Gospel of Matthew with a different group. So that book right there is. Uh, I'll just pass this down. Let you all look at it while. I'm talking about the next one. The next one is also written by Dr. Carter. He writes the book called Matthew, and he writes the book called Storyteller, Interpreter, Evangelist. And um, this, this is just really great. Um, this is, uh, this book actually makes a lot of sense. Um, and he talks about it like in, in a way that really, it takes the first book, and breaks it down even a little bit in, in my like I like to refer to it as layman's terms. It's it's really easy to grasp. Um, and then and then the just for uh, conversation pieces, uh, I I will be strongly using the the new revised standard version, which just so happens to be the fact that I use the new interpreter's Bible. Uh, this is based off the New Interpreter's Bible Commentary, which is so expensive I will never be able to purchase, but they're nice, um, but I don't use them that often enough to find those ways. But these, uh, this New Interpreter's Bible, Study Bible, is really great because they took uh, specific scholars and then they did peer review for the commentary. So the commentary is not what you normally would see, but it's not like uh, we do this birth of Jesus in the, in the chapter one because it celebrates Christmas. No, <laughs> Dr. Carter takes this and says, oh, yeah, watch this. And he shows you everything where uh, these women or these people came from. So he, 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 it's a different approach for commentary. And it just so happens that in the New Interpreter Study Bible, the NRSV version, Dr. Warren Carter is the one that wrote the commentary. So if you can't tell... Uh, I am a huge Dr. Warren Carter fan and am in his class at the moment, but uh, he, he's just, it's, it, I just love the way he writes and presents the text in such a way that makes sense. 
Has he written other books? Oh, yeah. New Testament? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, he, he wrote a phenomenal study guide for the book of Revelation. Um, and uh, and we had a whole a whole two-day lecture on it in, in school with him. But he's, he's written a bunch of books. And Karen, you'll, you'll find, uh, if you just type in Dr. Warren Carter, there's a there's just a humongous bibliography of things that he's written. He just, he just pumps it out. And then he written all kinds of scholarly articles and he's just he's just a phenomenal but i think the part that i like about him and i know that this is on recording and i don't really care is is that sometimes you have academics that are really hard to approach like sometimes they're so smart that they're um they're not socially awkward they're just rude like i'm smarter than you and you should know this and if you can't figure out the question then don't ask me um I had a lot of I've I have I've been very fortunate that I have not had very many of those professors. Um, I would say probably I didn't have any, if I'm being honest. Uh, but Dr. Carter has he's 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 world worldly recognized. I mean he's he's been all over the place, uh, and and he is so gracious and generous of the passing on of this knowledge, and he wants you to learn. He wants you to try. So. The fact that he has written so much and that he is considered a world scholar, the part that blows me away is, is he's also a good person. Like that's it's it's a lot of fun. Like I I hang out with him. I mean I would. Does he live in Tulsa? He does live in Tulsa. He moved. He just moved there. He moved. Uh, Phillips grabbed him. Uh, he was at uh, Bright Divinity School at TCU, and Phillips um, made an offer to him, and he came. And uh, it's just it's it's amazing so at the moment phillips has we have some uh some of the leading minds in a lot of areas so and dr carter being one of the strongest new testament scholars in in the in the united states especially but uh recognized throughout the world so with that being said let's talk a little bit about birth narratives of the first century before we get into the birth of Jesus, according to the Gospel of Matthew. Um, there was this interesting dialogue that takes place in about 300 BCE. Um, for those of you that are wondering what BCE is, it means before Common Era, because uh, we've changed those significations to not just BC and not just AD. It's Common Era is anything from zero to 30 on, and then before, common era is anything from zero before. So it's the same idea, just a different terminology um, for academic purposes. Around 300 BCE, we start having these birth narratives of people that were not Jewish, of Messiah-like births. What does that mean? Well, they were born divine. They, they, uh, my favorite story has to be from, um, <clears throat> from Octavius Caesar. Uh, that would have been around three or four CE. He, his, his birth narrative that he writes, he writes, and, and you can find this in Rome because um, they, they put it on the, on a, uh, he had a carved and all this stuff. He, he was born uh, without his mom knowing uh, his dad, according to Octavius. 
uh, in this process that his that means his mom was uh, gave birth to him in such a way that uh, he, he would have been immaculate conception. That's the, the term that Catholics coined in the, about the fourth or fifth century. Um, then, then during his life, uh, Octavius heals the sick. He casts out the demons of the Roman Empire. And because he is the son of gods, of the gods, uh, this is his language, he, he, he doesn't have a tomb. So uh, when he dies, uh, according to the legend of Octavius Caesar, he ascends into, into the heavens to be with the gods. Uh, this is before Christ. Uh, at the time of Christ, there's a Philo uh, talks about a man by the name of Philostratus, and Philostratus is a uh, is is a is a Roman um, philosopher that uh, also was born in a divine nature. Never cut his hair or let his beard get trimmed. Uh, sound familiar, like Samson? Uh, and Nazarite. It, 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 that's right. He was a Nazarite, uh, but he didn't. He wasn't Jewish. Yeah. So he has this ability <laughs> to go around, something. and and the and the gods have divined him as as being um, a great person, a great human being. And he has. It's interesting as he walks along the earth. He he heals people. He uh, he casts out demons, and uh, before the emperor has the chance to kill him because they call him into the courts and ask him to divine a dream and the courts don't like what he has to say. So before he gets killed, he turns around the corner and vanishes forever. And we no longer have a tomb for Philostronus. But why does this matter? Well, the birth of Jesus's story is not that. Okay, I'm wanting to make sure that's very clear. But the, these are the, the competitions that are being written simultaneously. By the time the Gospel of Matthew was written, you're, you're talking right after the Gospel of Mark. So this is in between 80 and 90 CE. The temple has been destroyed. Uh, the, the, the world is on fire. There's a huge war that took place in 65 to 70, right up leading to the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem. And these Christian people are telling the story of our Messiah. And they want you to understand that it is not like Rome's. Jesus is going to overthrow the empire. Okay, I'm trying to make sure you understand this. In the sense that Jesus is now going to be the emperor when he dies, or if he dies, because he, he might not, right? In the Gospel of Matthew, he, he dies, he resurrects, and he ascends. Luke, he dies, resurrects, he disappears. In Mark, he dies. And then the second ending says, oh, and then he showed back up, right? So there's this interesting conversation here in Matthew that Jesus's birth has to be <coughs> more than emperors. Uh, so at this point, um, this is Vespasian. So there was, in between six, 68, they had four emperors um, in the year 68. So right before the destruction of the temple, they had four emperors. When the destruction of the temple happens, uh, Titus is the one that does it, and he ultimately becomes emperor. Um, so 
but he doesn't become emperor until like 72, 74. This is about the time this is being written. Titus is a bad dude. We don't like him. He builds an arch. He takes the wealth of what he gets from Jerusalem. He builds the Colosseum off the backs of the Jews that he drug to Rome. 5,000 of them he brings. And they, he uses them to build the Colosseum off the money that he got from Jerusalem. We don't, we don't like this dude. This is the time that this book is being written. That's what I want you to understand. This is, this is a big deal. So Jesus' birth is miraculous. I'm not changing that idea. I believe that this birth happened this way. Do I, do I, I, I mean that from my heart? Academically, I want you to understand why it's so important to the first century. Bad dudes, and Jesus is different than them. Well, what little you have given us, it sheds a completely different light. Mm -hmm. You know, what all was going on. No wonder people were skeptical. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You, you, and you can see it, right? Like, oh, yeah, Jesus is born just like Octavius Caesar. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. No, 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 he wasn't. He was born totally different. Yeah. And we only need one God. Let's, let's not forget that part. We only yeah. have one. And look at what our God did. He created a human being that does all these things without needing a diviner. He is the divining God. I mean, it's... When I go back at it, and, and the more I've been writing this week, the more powerful I find it, you know, because here's these people writing this to an audience of poor people. We've, up until, well, Dr. Carter changed our way of thinking, we thought these people that were writing the Gospel of Matthew were probably elite, that they had a nice house, that people that were coming to their houses were the poor people coming to eat in their homes. We've since kind of started to change our mind. There were multiple layers of people that were literate. So regardless of where they were in the status, uh, they were poor. And so this Jesus guy coming, he's going to overthrow the empire. And all of us that are poor will now have all the food we can eat. I mean, it's amazing. It's like we need that Jesus today. Right? <laughs> I don't want to get on the sermon, but yeah, that's that's the hope. So let's talk about this birth of Jesus. Do you have any more questions before I go on? All right, so let's start verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus the Messiah, uh, before I go too much further, what is the interlinear state? The, the Greek word there is it? Christu. Yeah, that's what I wanted. Okay. And so this Christu is, is, uh, Usually translated as Jesus Christ. Yesu. Um, Yesu, yeah. And there's usually a Yesu Christ to read before that. And, but this is Jesus Christ. Interestingly enough, uh, the NRSV decided to put the Messiah here. Mm -hmm. um, and you'll see that on purpose because... Well, the NRSV did too, evidently. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Okay. I'm using the NRSV. So we, we use the, the term Messiah on purpose because Christ is a... Uh, is a term that we'll have to break down a little bit further. So the Greek here matters. I want you to know that it says Jesus Christ. But in most translations, specifically the RSV, it's changed to Jesus the Messiah. What does yours have in the New Living Translation? Jesus the Messiah. Jesus the Messiah. Yours? The Messiah. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Okay, so those, those are right close to the... 
uh, Greek. Interestingly enough, a lot of these others changed it to Jesus the Messiah. Messiah is different. You see, it's not, it's a different word. So it took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Is that Holy uh, Spiritus? Or what's the um, Greek? Pneumatos. Pneumatos, yes, that's the one. Pneumatos. You should remember this. Pneuma, breath, air. <laughs> Pneumatic. Pneumatic. That comes from this Holy Spirit. Pneumonia. What else? In, in the Hebrew word, you have the word ruach, breath, air. This is the Greek version of that. Holy Spirit now is taking place, uh, taking the place of Ruach. This is where you see that. Big, big deal. Her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. I mean, it's just hagio in the Greek. Hagio in the Greek. Greek. Uh, it doesn't uh, have spiritage. Oh, I'm sorry, it does. Hagio spirit. Uh, Pneumatocysteine. Uh, hagio. Yes. So from the uh, pneumatos. So there's this interesting thing that happens. You see how Holy Spirit now is. Remember, what does the Ruach of God do? Breath and life. Breath and life. If I breathe, God breathes, life gets created. Holy Spirit now, I have conceived her in from the pneumatos, from, from the Holy Spirit, from the breath of God. Have I lost you? This is how Jesus is born. Everybody asks me all the time, well, how did that happen? Did God physically come to earth? No. No. God breathed it into happening by using of the Holy Spirit, according to the Gospel of Matthew. There was no physical thing here. God breathed, it happens. This is their same mindset. They've just changed the Hebrew word from ruach to pneumatos. Now, my professors would be really arguing with me at this point, but in all intents and purposes, that's really what's happening in my opinion. She will bear a son. And you were to name him, uh, let's just say Yesu. Uh -huh, yeah, Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord, the, uh, by the Lord through the prophet. Uh, this is Isaiah, I think. Yeah, Isaiah 7. Uh, Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, uh, which means God is with us. Um, actually, it doesn't have the is, it's just God with us, but who's being thinking? Just, it's just a word. It's just a word. When Jesus awoke from sleep, he did as the Joseph, angel, was Joseph. Joseph, sorry. When Joseph awoke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her, and she had born a son. Uh, yeah, and some others will say firstborn son, but this just says son. And named him Jesus. Why would it matter if he's the firstborn? Well, if you'd already had one, it wouldn't be a virgin. Right. Like that's that's the whole the whole point here. And it says he named him Jesus. So mm -hmm. Joseph 
and then gave, gave Peter the name of Jesus. Because Which is he, because he was the man. Because he was yeah. the man. So even if you just look at it that way, Dr. Carter would say sociologically, the reason that Joseph gets to name Jesus is because he's the guy. In the Hebrew Bible, that's not always the case, right? Ishmael gets named by his mom, not by Abraham. It's kind of a big deal. God names everyone else, right? Except for by the time he gets with 12 boys. And let's not forget their sister that always gets written out of the story. <laughs> um, there should have been 13 tribes, but we dismiss her shortly after that story. So we only have 12 tribes in Israel. Um, so there's, there's obviously Jewish understanding here. Well, also, didn't it? God told Joseph that he was going to name him Jesus. Right. And, I mean, it kind of points out that we are to follow God and his, sure. what he tells us to do. Now, my favorite part of this story up to this point is we get the story of Obed in the genealogy. You remember who names Obed? This, the women, when Ruth gives birth to him, the women surrounding Ruth are the one that named him. Why is Obed important? Well, he's the grandfather of King David, who Jesus has to be related to. So there's there's even, even in the midst of that, there's some discrepancy. Um, because you're right. God tells him you're going to name him, just like he tells Adam, you now have power and dominion over all these people. Uh, this, this is the same, the same problem. But on the other hand, it also shows that Mary, or you're Hebrew or Jewish because of the mother. Right, right, that's a big problem. And we don't know her genealogy. <laughs> yeah, we don't know her genealogy, and but it works for the Jews. Works for them, and as they're telling the story, <laughs> that's what it gets. You gotta go with it. Yeah, they're just they're just wanting you to know it was a miraculous birth, but still Jewish. God breathed life into Mary. I'm a little excited about that phrase, but this is this is this is kind of a big deal, folks. I mean, like if, if you if you grew up having this immaculate conception problem, this takes care of that in, in their minds. Because they would have had the same problem we do. How does that work? Well, it's the same way that God created Adam and Adama, right? Um, or Adam and Eve. It's the same idea. God breathed that game. Okay, it's fine. Um, it's all right. It's kind of interesting because it doesn't sound like that anybody questions Adam and Adama. No. How did they? How did they? I mean, other than they were made from dirt, but well, yeah, there's, there's dirt doesn't breathe, does it? <laughs> uh, well, there's other stories in the Hebrew Bible of prophets being born the same way. Uh, well, how about Abram and Abraham? Right. Well, and Abram, who they would have identified with. Sure. Right. Yeah. That is. They would have recognized that there was a change in people's life by the presence of God. So, so this, this, is, this is not too far-fetched. Now, the part that gets interesting here is the second part here in the chapter 2. Um, 
Let's talk a little bit about Herod, which Herod we're talking about here. There are three Herods uh, in the four. time. <laughs> yeah, well, there's three in the, that we focus in on okay. in the time of Christ, uh, specifically the Gospel of Matthew, because we've got Herod the Great. He's, he's the bigot. We don't like him. <laughs> he, is, he is an appointed king uh, by Rome. He's the one that, did I tell you all this about him and Mark Antony? Oh, this is a cool story. You're all going to love this. <laughs> so uh, at the time of Mark Antony and Cleopatra, the emperor, uh, that was Octavius. Yeah, Octav Octavius is in Rome. He's been deemed emperor. And uh, Mark Antony is in, in Egypt. And he's a great general and a massive, humongous uh, military. Uh, he and Octavius go to blows. They say, uh, Octavius says to him, you, you, you are not going to be the emperor. Mark Antony says, oh yeah, watch this. And they, <laughs> get, in a, and they get in a huge fight. Mark Antony ultimately loses. Um, and Mark Antony and Cleopatra take their lives because that's the honorable thing to do as the, the losers in the battle. Mm -hmm. The funny thing is, Herod, who was appointed by Mark Antony, was on the Mark Antony court. And so the, everybody, everybody knew Herod the Great was a, a part of Mark Antony's world. But now Octavius Caesar's in charge. And so in order for, this is my favorite part of the story, Herod was known as not, not just being wealthy, but he was a great architect, and a phenomenal builder. I mean, like the great, the, the stones that we have today in, in, in Jerusalem and all over the world in that area, were built by Herod the Great, and people still don't know how, with the technology they had, he was able to move them. This is how big the duty is. So Mark Antony loses. So what does Mark, uh, Herod say? Oh, I'm sorry. It's, I, I didn't mean to do that. I, I was just you know, thinking I was supporting the, the greatest victor. Obviously, I was wrong. <laughs> so let me build something in your honor. So that's where the Caesarea comes from. Um, I'll show you pictures next week and put it on the Zoom. But Caesarea is this humongous shipyard in uh, in Caesarea. He he builds this uh, humongous temple in the in the bay. There he builds um, shipyards, and to this day, I'm I'm not kidding you. He figured out a way to make concrete in the bay to create a shore brief, uh, so that when the ships came in. They hit dry land before they, 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 they bottomed out so that they could get and build docks there. He built that. It's still there. It's still there. Engineers are still baffled by his brilliance. The water your water is that? Uh, it's, uh, it's the it's Mediterranean. Mediterranean. Yep. So when you get into Caesarea, the, the, the shipyard's still there. The temple is still there. When you walk into the temple, the, the god Roma meet you there and it's all built in the name of caesar so therefore uh caesar says no problem i will leave you alone you continue to do your stuff this is the herod we're talking about that's why it's such a big deal he's a finagler he's a finagler he's, he's brilliant uh and coincidentally he stayed there for 36 years um as, as no, 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 that's not right. For, uh, 40 years. He was he was a, a vassal king for 40 years. This is not 
This is unheard of. No, nobody gets to do that type of things. Um, so, so this is this is this is the Herod we're talking about. He's he's the king over Judea. He uh, he, he finds a way uh, to show his power to uh, to Caesar. And the very first thing that we hear is in the time of King Herod. So this is the audience that would be hearing this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, uh, wise, what's the word there? It's not men. Um, Magoi. 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 Magi. So this is people. Uh, these uh, wise men is not necessarily a great translation, but it's, it's a better translation than what Magoi really means. Um, uh, so th this... So I, I always pick on that. But from the east. So what's from the east? Well, anything outside of Bethlehem is still considered Palestine today. So this could be very easily Iraq, Iran. It could be very easily, um, uh, uh, well, Syria is down below. So it's it's off to the east. Could be India, could be Turkey, could be China. This, this area off to the, to the right, that's how far these people are coming. This is also showing the vastness of the Roman Empire, so they come from China, but probably not. Right, there's probably probably not much of a case to say that they came, they came Persia, from that maybe. or Persia, most likely. These people came from Russia. outside. Persia's Iraq or Iran. These people came outside of the Roman Empire. Is the point? Because nothing to the west. Rome owned everything to the west. So where is this child? who has been born to the king of the Jews. For we observed his star at its rising uh, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened. Why would he be frightened? <laughs> well, this is a baby. That's that's right. It's all about the power, dude. It's all about the power. A little it's, insecure there. Yeah. Very much. <laughs> very much. And, and it's beautiful how they're writing it, right? They're, they're saying, well, this king, who is the vassal king of Caesar, Look at him being tired of a little, scared of a little baby. <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be a kind of an inside joke. Mm -hmm. um, well, how old was King Herod at this time? Uh, so we, he was, he was a vassal king from 4 BCE to uh, 40 CE. So, oh, Herod probably was in his, I'm going to say, 30s. Oh, so he was pretty young. Yeah, but remember the the mentality rate was he died at 60. <laughs> If you're lucky, or forty, or forty, middle age. Yeah, so he's yeah. He, in their mind, he's old. Can't believe he's lived. So you wonder why he was insecure because he, by the time Jesus grew up and took over, he would be dead. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. exactly yeah. the. He shouldn't be worried. He shouldn't be worried. So this is this is what's going on. So the people that are hearing this are like, ha, 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 yeah, we know he's not going to make it. So, uh, and he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. He was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. Um, and calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people that were also appointed by Herod. This is another problem that we have in the first century. This is that everybody worked for Rome, mm -hmm. right? So these chief priests and scribes, they worked for Rome. They were appointed by Roman governors. We always say that it was appointed by the people. Sure it was. The people that were owned by Rome. <laughs> so calling together all these chief priests and scribes of the people, he acquired them where the Messiah was to be born. 
They told him, well, in Bethlehem. Or so it has been written by the prophet. Yeah, I think again, this is, I know this is Micah. Uh, Micah says, and you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to, this is my favorite part of this discussion, shepherd my people Israel. Um, we'll come back to that here in just a second. Then Herod secretly called for the wise uh, Magoi, the people, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, listen to these words. Uh, bring me words so that I may go and pay him homage and send my army to kill him. When, <laughs> when they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen in its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. And on entering the house, uh, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage, just like you would a king. They opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. We talked about this at Nazem. These are very easily, easily tradable items. They're worth a lot of money. This is, this is a, a, a lot of wealth. And having been warned in the dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. So we'll just pause right there. Okay, they said entering, mine says entering the house, but we always show where this three kings are at the stable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and they, they don't come yet, we don't think. But they come later on, don't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah later. I think it's interesting because Herod asked them when the star appeared. Yeah, which could indicate the birth time of Jesus, and then the period of time. Got to travel all that way. Travel, yeah. You know. yeah, so it's all by foot or camel, you know, or you know, horses or donkeys. I mean, it's not, it's not quick. So it's not fast and not easy. Right. <laughs> so there, uh, Matthew takes in consideration. This is one of the things I like about Matthew. Takes in consideration the aspect of travel. So it's not infant, it's a child. That's the word they use in Greek here. That's the purpose. It's, uh, that's a big distinction. Uh, so obviously, like we pointed out, Jesus is a little bit older. Um, shepherd. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. In this, it says um, in verse 4, um, Herod asked where Christ was to be born. The Christ was to be born. Mm -hmm. was to be and then when you get over here um to verse 9 10 somewhere in there mm -hmm. he's born so i mean that tells you the length of time because they didn't know he was born yet right. at the very beginning and you know and in what six seven mm -hmm. verses <laughs> he's here and they're, they're there cut, yeah they're they're they find there. out yeah <laughs> So this, I mean, <coughs> this time in four, when it says Christ, Christos, the lex, lexicon said anointed. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it changed the suffix. It went from Christo to Christos, right? Yeah. Yeah, so now he's, it's anointed one. Um, to dovetail on what you said about time, in verse 11, it says they entered the house and saw the child. Yeah, not, not baby, quite yep. young. I know somewhere, and I don't know uh, in study, 
I was always under the impression he was about three years old. Yeah, yeah, we tend to. I mean, we we that's where we go. We think yeah. he's probably about three. The stable is only told in Luke. That's part of the problem. Yeah. So we get the we get the creation, the birth stories all homogenized. Matthew and Luke are the only ones focusing on it. Mark didn't care. Matthew and Luke do. <laughs> Uh, Luke is a totally different conversation for a different day, but Matthew, remember, he's, he's Jewish. He wants you to understand that this person is going to take over the empire. It's a big deal. So he has to have a divine birth message. He has to have a divine experience. Let's talk about the word shepherd. Um, Dr. Carter spends a lot of time in this in this class, but I'm not going to spend that much time on it. Shepherd is a term that the Caesars would use uh, to be rulers of things. I am the shepherd of all of Rome. Uh, you'd hear them say this. It's on, there's this humongous statue um, in Ephesus where they talk about the shepherd of Rome and things of that nature. But however, the writer here is also brilliant. I will tell you this over and over again. The writer is brilliant in the sense that they use the word shepherd as kind of like a pun. Like he is going to be the ruler, the Lord of the empire, but it's also the same word we use for David, King David. King David was the shepherd, right? That's what his job was. Um, so this is this is how brilliant this writer is, but the shepherd was something that Rome used all the time. Um, and so this author is obviously connecting that to them for us to see that they're also King David's relation. Um, so I, I just thought that was kind of really, I had to point that out. Um, what does he say here? Yeah, he just says it in a lot more words. <laughs> um, so it's, a, it's an interesting part. Uh, I want I, I definitely want to finish chapter two. Uh, but we're going to have to get into a, a, a little bit of a deep discussion. So we'll, lots we'll, of dreams, lots of dreams. Yeah, that's that's mm -hmm. also important that there's visions happening and God appearing in, in the forms of angels. Notice that the angel's not named, right? This is also how you know that this is a, a Jewish world. The oh, hey, Sally, uh -huh. since we're talking about it, can you go back to um. Where's it at? What are you looking for? And I'll help you look. Verse 20. Uh, but oh, just when he has resolved to do this, it should be an evangelion. Yes. Okay. Angelos. Let's say that again. Angelos. Angelos. But does it have evangelion before it? We're in 20? Yeah. No. Behold, an angel of the Lord, Angelos Curio. Curio. Ah. So it's just Angelos. But the curio is right behind it. Curio is the eighth of the, the Lord. Yeah. Yes, an angel, so the angel of the Lord. Lord. So this Angelos is different. He, so angel is portrayed differently throughout the New Testament Greek. I what it is in Luke when they do Matthew. I mean, I, I think, think it's Evangelion there. That's okay. why I make a big deal of it. This Angelos is a in the Hebrew Bible would be like a cherubim. Oh, okay. Um if it's Evangelium, I think it's Evangelium. Um, that would be Luke 2. Um, the, why am I making a big deal? Well, this, this angel that's presented is, is not necessarily 
what you normally would see in the Hebrew Bible for their understanding. Um, the, the, the word in Hebrew is melech, the messengers of God. Remember, you can't hear the voice of God. So this, this angelos kyrio, this angel of the Lord, appears um, to speak on behalf of God. The one in Luke, I think, when he appears to the shepherds, uh, it's like what, verse 12 or something. Luke chapter 2, verse between 12 and 14, I think. That, that's a We're different looking angel. For the angels. Huh? We're looking for the angels, right? Right. It's a host of them. <laughs> I mean, a crown. Okay. Crown. It's Agello for the angel, and then the multitude is just multitude of the heavenly army. It's Urineu Stratias, the heavenly army. Yeah, that's different. Which the lexicon says is host. I haven't found Mary's. Where's the the Magnificat? Yeah, doesn't she? Doesn't the angel speak to her just before yeah, that? Yeah, Magnificat. I think it's right after that. But I think that's where the word is Evangelium. The point that I'm making here is these are different types of angels. So people oh, that were right. hearing this in the Gospel of Matthew would have heard that and go, "Oh, oh okay, so that makes total sense." And I'm only saying that, Karen, because you brought up the aspect of dreams. <laughs> dreams are things that God speaks to us through because it's safe. Um, so if an angel appears to you, you need to be aware. You need to be awake. Um, so that, that matters. Um, yeah. So let's talk about the escape to Egypt. Um, but we'll come back to it. Sally, will, Sally will remember like this, and it'll be like, oh, yeah, it's right here. And, uh, in verse 13, we get to this part of the escape of Egypt. I'm just going to make it simple. This is a direct tie to the escape from Egypt, right? There's This is, this is a Hebrew understanding. Um, that they're escaping to the place that they escaped from. The, the journey into Egypt recalls Joseph, and God's deliverance, and Egyptian slavery was he also put. Uh, it's a place that is now a place of safety. Remember what's happened in Egypt at this point? They've been defeated. So Mark Antony is no longer a threat. You see how cool this is? So, yeah, it makes total sense that they travel to Egypt. Oh, well, there's nobody there now. That's just, everybody's <laughs> gone, so let's go. Um, so uh, I'll just make it quick. So now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream again. And that should be Angelos. Yeah, Angelos. To, uh, in, a, in a dream and said, get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up and took the child and his mother by night and went up to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod the Great, which means that that was a long time. Uh, yeah, Mine always says the baby in all, all through. Yours says baby the whole way through? Mary and the baby. Mm -hmm. young. Yeah, that's child. a different Mine word. Bruce, Bruce something is the, child, is the baby and. And these are all padion, which would have to be a different word. Yeah. Some so translations. They don't ever say baby in Matthew. I looked and looked, and he didn't yeah. ever say, but in Luke it was, and I think it was three. Three son has been child. Yeah. 
Yeah, so some translations do that, Marilyn, because it, it, they don't want to. Rethos. Rethos is the info. Yeah, rethos. Rethos. Yeah, that's right. Rethos. So, so it's child in the in Greek. Now that matters because he's now old, because that means he's not older. But it means that he's going to live in Egypt for a long time. That's uh, what they just got done telling you. They can't do 40 years. It doesn't work out. If uh -uh, it doesn't work. Stay for 40 years. I think I got it backwards. I think he started in 40 BCE and he ends up in 4 oh, okay. CE. I, somehow I always get the name, the times mess that it happens. But mine says every baby boy two years old and under. So he couldn't. That's why we figured he was more than two. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. well, we he gets ready to get worse. Yeah, we're going to get okay. to the infant story here. Okay. The master of the infants. <laughs> This is going to be awful. And that's how we're going to enter Bible study today. It's going to be so great. <laughs> so I'm just going to read it and then we'll talk. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise, the Magoi, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in, in and, and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then when then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, uh, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. That is the cool part. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream again, at <laughs> Angelos, uh, to a dream of Joseph in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are now dead. Then Joseph uh, got up and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father, Herod, this is Herod the Herod second, <laughs> Herod number two, which was worse, uh, he was afraid to go there, which he should have been. Um, he went away to, to the district of Galilee. It says, having been warned in a dream. Oh, sorry, I missed that part. <laughs> it's another dream. And after being warned in another dream, he went away to the district of Galilee, which was another uh, vassal another king. Another Herod. Yeah. Another, another guy. So it, it's a different, there's a different king set up in Galilee. Um, and then he made his hometown called Nazareth, home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets may be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. So um, you should have problems with this uh, this um, massacre of the infants. Um, it's not a pretty story, but it's the standard response from the elite. Um, remember, we're talking about two different social structures here, the elite and then the non-elite. Those that were in Roman power, when you made them mad, they killed you. So children were... And of course, this was only the male children. Yeah. That's right, only male girls. children. And why do you kill the male children? Because they could become something. Uh, they could become dangerous. another army. Yeah. They could come, they always come back for revenge. That's what I say, you always think of male strength and mm -hmm. the girls weren't going to fight. Right. That's right. They didn't let them have weapons. <laughs> that's true. Right. Yeah. right. So this well, you, you hear about they it. In, them. <laughs> you you hear about it in the in the Wild West times, like the old gunfighters so make sure you kill your kids. Uh, you know, like that's that because they'll come back and shoot you later on. Yep. Um, you know, it's it's a it's a, it's a not a new thing. 
Interestingly enough, the scripture that they quote, uh, Dr. Carter points out that Jeremiah 31, verse 15, which is what they're talking about here, refers to two major tragedies, the defeat by Assyria and the exile in Babylon, which explains a little bit of the connection there about being uh, dispersed and then being reconnected. Uh, but not, not, neither one overthrow God's purposes, and, and neither will Herod or Rome. So even in the midst of it, God still finds a plan to bring people to safety. So uh, some interesting things that take place in this part of the story. Um, the massacre of the infants. The, the part that I really want you all to really get into your mind is, is that these people that are hearing this story know that they are fleas on the back of an elephant. <laughs> they, they literally do not matter to Rome. If, elite, if the elite choose for you to be dead, they, you're dead. Really? And that's what happens. Herod decides, I'm going to kill all the, the, these children, and he does, and there's no questions at all. Uh, and, 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 and notice that there's people are weeping, right? The voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, same time that they were being uh, put into slavery by Assyria. You know, so this is this is kind of a big deal. Um, but do you think? Go ahead. Do you think the the gifts that were brought uh -huh. uh, helped enable the travel? Oh yeah, to yeah, Egypt sure. and all all over. I mean, it, it's it wasn't wasn't cheap to travel. Person. No, and that's that's also intentional. Mm -hmm. Like so, the writers really want you to understand that the gifts were not only. Um, expensive, but they were thought out, right? Like they knew that this person was going to have to travel. It's a, uh, it's supposed to be foreshadowing. That's what we'd call it. Because why would you give somebody a poor person, right? Because these are obviously super poor people, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, unless you're having to run or flee. I would imagine if that angel of the Lord came to Joseph the night before in a dream and said, you know, get up and go, Joseph might be going. Well, how am I going to do that? Yeah. That's exactly right. Yeah. Well, it just so happens. Yeah. Yeah. So there's another part, part to this, Ted, that uh, I got to point out. So like if, if these, these wise people come and they bring these gifts, it is totally possible that if other people saw them with this, that they would thought that they were, it was stolen. Um, and so there's, there's, a, there's a social construct here that's interesting that takes place that these gifts are also easy to hide. You can put these things in places that nobody's going to see. I know I'm being super dark, but I'm, I've been kind of immersed in the first century <laughs> culture for the last well, six weeks. There was a question of robbery, too, because there was a lot of thieving going on. And right. if they're going to be on the road all the way to Egypt, then right. somebody could steal them, too. Right. So they had to hide them. Yeah. The road, the road to Egypt was not one that was comfortable. You know, that's mm -hmm. that's uh, there were bad people there. Mark Anton was there. <laughs> this is bad. So yeah, the, that's on purpose. Every every bit of this story is is on purpose. And there's a lot of prophecy in that chapter. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. at least what four, maybe five. Mm -hmm. And from different, Micah, Jeremiah. Isaiah. Yeah, which is also kind of fascinating from a Hebrew's, uh, Hebrews perspective. 
because Matthew obviously knew those, that meant that he had to have studied them. Most of the time, that culture was focused primarily on Torah, bits and pieces of Isaiah. <clears throat> the part that you all don't know, and, and someday we will, is, is that Isaiah is basically broken into three parts for their culture. We put it together as one, so they may know bits and pieces of Isaiah, or some of them don't. This person knows Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Micah, so this person was very well educated. Um, uh, Dr. Carter wants me to point out, as I was I just said this, uh, Argelaus continues the oppressive rule, but this is something so that everybody has a moment of happiness. The Emperor Augustus removes him from power in 6 CE and replaced him with another, a different Roman governor. Um, there is no Hebrew Bible passage that directly corresponds to this. Some have suggested a reference to the Nazarites who served God to a king from David's line, a Davidic branch there, that place in being Nazarian. Uh, I, I, I forgot to mention that as we're getting ready to finish. There is no mention of the Messiah having to be a Nazarian. Um, so, so what, like we said, Nazarite, sure, that makes sense. <coughs> so, uh, the, the Greek translation there, uh, what. Can you say that word for me there? Which one? The very last Nazarene. word. Last chapter two. Nazareos. Nazareos. <laughs> yeah, so that's, that's I would I would totally go, that's closer to Nazarite than Nazareth. Because um, Nazareos, I think, is almost, uh, it's almost a verb. There's just a very small distinction there. Um, not a verb. Um, a pronoun. It's almost a pronoun. Um, yeah. And... And this one is a man. Yes. Yeah. So this this is a big it's a male deal. person. It's not the way we've ever heard that story. I'm assuming. So before I stop the recording, what's going through your mind right now before we get to the proclamation of John the Baptist next week? I I think I'd heard on one of your recordings that. The, the Hebrews prophecies about Messiah are a lot of times about a Messiah. Right. And this almost seems like Matthew is starting to kind of be a little more specific, yes. like putting a the Messiah yes. uh, to work here together. Yeah, the, the Hebrew word that they use a lot is the word Mashiach. It sounds like Messiah. So what Matthew does is he takes that word and creates this. This is the ultimate Messiah, Mashiach. He's different than Elijah, you know, or Jeremiah, or uh, Moses, who's Superman, right? Like everybody knows Moses. Um, so he's a Philo, also, also a Roman scholar, writes about Moses. And he's, he's a Jewish Roman scholar. So um, he writes about Moses as, as if he's Clark Kent and by day and Superman by night. So it's kind of neat. Um, anyway, my point is, is that, yeah, the, this, there's an expectation that this is different than anything that we've ever had before. What else before I close it? Mm. I have to watch Cleopatra again. I didn't really relate that to King Herod. <laughs> I know, yeah, yeah. Ooh, well, who knows whether they got it right. Yeah. I know, that's a movie shoot, you know. Yeah. Just slavery today, it's nothing no. compared 
to what the citizens back then were going through. No. No, we, we, Nothing. Can we can't even fathom what it was like. No. And, 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 and when we say that, we also have to take into consideration where they lived, like in these strong urban areas where the Romans did bring in plumbing, the natural sewage running down the streets through the aqueducts that were created, you know, it was not a very hygienic place to live. You know, it wasn't a, a comfortable place to live. It's not like they had butcher uh, markets there, you know, so they, the hygiene was bad. Everybody was starving. They were broke. This is, and, and these are the, the people that are supposed to be doing okay. The yeah. only ones that had anything were the elites and they never struggled. But that was 3% of the population. The rest of them were just varying degrees of poor. It's no wonder they died at 40. Yes. Yes. If they lived that long. Children probably died at, at who knows what rate. To me, it makes you kind of wonder with just, you, you've got your different occupations. You've got the potter and you've got the bread maker and you've got the, the carpenter. How did they, I guess they did more bartering or trading of yes. whatever they had. Yep. Rather, since they didn't, basically, it doesn't sound like they ever had an income, like we know income. That's right. And so they would have, you know, you may have had to wait maybe a day for the bread or yep. that jug that I needed to carry the water in or the linen maker to make the blanket well, or whatever. It's funny you mentioned that because mm -hmm. in the excavation that they've done in Pompeii, one of the things that they found is, is like you just mentioned a whole bunch of trade people. They would have been within like room to room in the same area. They would have lived in their place of business. And what they found is, is these little coins that had uh, markings on them, little pieces of metal. And what they say is, is those coins were used for servants to put the coin in their bread so that they would go work at a temple or they'd go work at something. And as they came home, they'd stop by the baker and they knew that was their bread by the coin that was in it. It wasn't worth anything, but it was that was how they knew it was theirs. And so the, the understanding is, is anthropologically, these people, these people that went to go work at the temple or whatever, obviously brought something back to the baker to pay for those things. And the baker had marked or shown where the bread was. So the, the elite, the 3% of the elite people, did they ever trade with the common people? I mean, not necessarily them, but their households. Oh yeah, the households did, yeah. So how did they pay the poor people? Did they pay them in Caesar's gold coin uh -huh. or? Yeah. And then, so the poor person. They may get currency, right? But they were just lucky to be alive. Okay. Yeah. So it, it makes sense that when we start talking about the gospels in the sense of we work together, Jesus tells him to sell all of his possessions and come and follow me. Stop being an elite person, come be with us. We work together to make sure that we survive. You know, that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's a whole different idea at that point. Then it's it's not Jesus saying, Well, you really should do it so it makes you feel better. No, <laughs> the only way we'll survive is if we do this together. Mm -hmm. Like that's a whole different concept and connotation. But we'll get into that as we get further in that.
Okay, I'm gonna go ahead and stop the recording.